count on you people? Sorry, Everett. Well, all right. We take off through that bayou. And Wait a minute. Who elected you leader of this outfit? Well, Pete, I figured it should be the one with the capacity for abstract thought. But if that ain't the consensus view, then let's put it to a vote. Suits me. I'm voting for yours truly. Well, I'm voting for yours truly, too. Okay. I'm with you fellas. I uh, grew up uh, in the country, grew up on a farm, and I have always appreciated Southern humor. Now, one of the reasons I appreciate Southern humor is, uh, first of all, it makes you laugh. But if you know anything at all about Southern humor, most of the time, some, uh, Southern humor is trying to teach you something. It's trying to give you a little, little point to the story. I guess that's one of the reasons why I uh, love the following story so much. By the way, have any of you guys ever plowed a mule or ladies? Nobody here? I, I can't tell you, as aggravating as it was to work on farm equipment, that was a step up from having to uh, plow a mule. The story goes that uh, there was this uh, family on a farm and one day uh, the dad gets up and it's uh, breakfast time and they just finished eating breakfast and he tells his son, go out and get the mule hitched up. <clears throat> I've got some plowing to do today. So the son uh, goes out the back door. He gets the bridle off of a peg right outside the back door. He, he walks down the steps, the little puppy runs out from under the house and runs between his legs all the way out to the stable, to the barn. And he gets out and uh, he walks up to the stable and he says, okay, Blue, let's get hitched up and let's go to work. And that mule turned around and looked at him and said, get hitched up and let's go to work. That's all I ever hear and I don't ever get enough corn. Well, you can imagine how startled he was. So he took back off across the yard. He, he, took the steps in a single bound. He almost went through the screen door, but he goes in and daddy's in the kitchen. He said, daddy, 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 daddy. Blue's out there and Blue's talking. And his father looked at him and said, son, we've had these conversations about your wild imagination. I guess I never should have sent you to do a man's job in the first place. You just stay here in the house. I'll take care of it. He storms out the back door, slams the screen door. He stomps down the steps. Little puppy runs out from under the house and starts running between his legs. He stoops down and picks up the bridle where his son had dropped it. Then he gets out to the stable and he walks up and he's frustrated and in a rough voice. He says, okay, Blue, turn around, let's get hitched up and let's go to work. And Blue turns around and looks at him and says, get hitched up and let's go to work. That's all I ever hear and I don't ever get enough corn. Well, it did to him what it would have done to us. It surprised him a great deal. And he did what some of us would have done. He threw the bridle one way and he went the other way. Just as fast and as far as he could. And then finally, when he fell to his knees in complete exhaustion, he looked heavenward and said, oh, Lord, that's the first time I've ever heard a mute talk. 
And that little puppy skidded to a stop right side of him and said, me too. (laughs) One of the good things about uh, being a Baptist and about being a South Carolina Baptist is uh, even though I may not have seen folks before, whenever I go because of our commonality that's made possible through Jesus Christ, I always get to enjoy that me too experience. It is a joy to be with you today. And today I want to talk about... uh, a topic and uh, a part of this is I know I've got one more Sunday with you and uh, next uh, and then uh, your new pastor, uh, Dr. Rod Elliott's going to be here with you. So uh, I, I'm going to try and set the stage for him a little bit. And what I want to talk with you today is uh, something that uh, God desires for his people and demands from his people. And it's the one thing that Satan fears and works night and day to undo. It's something for which Jesus prayed for just before he went to the cross. It's the one thing that the Bible says will convince people that the church has something the world does not. And what I'm talking about is unity. Now, when I talk about unity, let me make it plain that I'm uh, not talking about union. Union is when you're bonded with someone with whom you may not have a common bond. Neither am I talking about uniformity. Uniformity is when everybody looks alike, sounds alike, and thinks alike. I'm not even talking about unanimity. See, there's no place on earth where everybody agrees with everybody on everything. I heard about an attorney and a psychologist who were making small talk at a function, and uh, the attorney said uh, to the psychologist, it seems like you and your wife get along very well. Do you ever have any differences of opinion? And the psychologist said, definitely. As a matter of fact, we have differences of opinion very often, but we get over over those differences very quickly. And the lawyer said, how did you do that? The psychologist said, simply, it's simple, I never tell her about them. (laughs) No, we may not have unanimity, but we should always have unity. And by unity, I mean a oneness of heart a similarity of purpose, an agreement on uh, Bible doctrine and truth. It says in Romans 14, 19, so then let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. When our founding fathers signed the Declaration of Independence, Benjamin Franklin stood up and said, gentlemen, now we must all hang together or surely we shall all hang separately. I believe that's true of the church. And I believe Satan's strategy to defeat the church is to divide and conquer. The devil is no match for a united church, no matter how small the church is. And regardless of how large a church is, how many members it has, how big the budget is, how many buildings it has, it can be defeated member by member. 
And Satan's motive is always division. His method is deception. Satan's mission is destruction. He would love nothing better than to deceive us so he could divide us and therefore destroy us. You see, Satan can't defeat a united church because if the church is united, there's no place where he can attack the body. Every flank is covered. Every side is protected. And in fact, that uh, uh, passage that tells us that even the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church is giving not the image that we're sitting here and waiting for uh, Satan to batter down our gates. It's us on the offense going into the world, taking the love of Christ wherever we go. But one by one, divided against each other. Any of us or all of us can be picked off by Satan's fiery darts. So I want to ask you a question. Whose job is it to protect the unity of the church? Well, the answer is every church member. And Paul was speaking to the entire church when he said over in Ephesians chapter 3 that we should be endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So I want to share with you today uh, in just a few moments uh, what God expects us to do as members of his body in protecting and preserving the unity of the church. Here's the first thing. And if you got your Bibles, we're going to be in that uh, Psalm 133 that has only three verses. So you know I can only have three points. But in uh, a paraphrase of the message, Psalm 133.1 reads this way. How wonderful and how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. It is a beautiful sight to behold when God's people are united under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ and under the umbrella of his authority. And what I think is the most beautiful prayer ever prayed by anyone in the history of the world, Jesus is praying for his disciples. He's praying for his church in the 17th chapter of John. And this is what he prayed in verses 20 and 21. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one as you Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, did you get when Jesus was praying, he was praying that we would be one? Back over in Psalm 133, the literal translation of verse 1 is, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together even as one. Unity is the very nature of God himself. Now, the Trinity is not a triunity. The Trinity is not three gods. It's one God in three persons. It's a perfect unity. And unity is the very nature of God himself. And that's why 
disharmony and disunity grieves God and grieves the Holy Spirit. It's against his very nature. See, one thing the Holy Spirit will not and cannot do is work in a church that's divided. How many times I have uh, sat down with opposing sides on each side of the table. And I work very, very hard to try and let them understand it's only God who's right. And if you don't get that in your head and we're going to sit here for the next couple of hours and fuss about which side is right, we're not going to get anywhere. Jesus goes on to say in the 17th chapter of John in verse 22, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. (laughs) In a world of political, national, philosophical, and theological division, God is still glorified and magnified and satisfied when his children are unified. And I want you to notice that twice in his prayer, in John 17, he said that the world may know, believe that you sent me. The greatest advertisement for the gospel of Jesus Christ is not a billboard. It's not a newspaper advertisement. It's not even a television program. Still, the greatest advertisement for the gospel of Jesus Christ is a church that is unified in the Holy Spirit and determined to love the Lord Jesus Christ and to love one another regardless. You've heard it said that there is strength in numbers. Well, that really isn't true. There's only strength in numbers if those numbers are unified and united. One brick by itself really is not worth much. But you can take a lot of bricks and make a wall. One shingle by itself is worthless. But many shingles together can make a roof. Usually one link by itself is worthless, but many links together can make a chain. I read about a professor from an Ivy League school who heard about a dinosaur that was still alive in the rainforest of South America. So he launched a scientific expedition. He had to see if that story was true or not. And so after several weeks of being in the jungle, he stumbled upon uh, a pygmy, a a little man, standing there in a loincloth, kind of standing, you know, with one foot propped up against the other. And right beside him was a 300-foot-long dinosaur that was dead. And the scientist couldn't believe his eyes. He looked at that little man and said, did you kill this dinosaur? And the rainforest native said, I did. 
The scientist said, but it's so big and you're so small. How did you kill it? The little man said, with my club. The professor said, how big is your club? The little man said, oh, we got about 400 members. We can be a mighty club in God's hands to defeat the devil at every turn if we will be a fellowship of unity and God expects us to advertise our unity. I am amazed at how all it takes is one little quarrel in a church and it'll be all over town. Doesn't take very long for it to be all over the state. And I am telling you, we do some wonderful things as churches and as South Carolina Baptists. We're on the ground in uh, Louisiana right now helping people through disaster relief because of all the devastation they've had to deal with. We've got church planters that are from this state who are taking the gospel to other places. And we work hard to tell those stories. You're a part of that through the Coffee Program. We work hard to let people know what God is doing because you as a church are together and you as churches are together and we form something called associations and then state conventions and then national conventions and we do stuff together that no church could ever do on its own. We're able to pull ourselves together and really try and make impact. And God expects us to advertise our unity. But all it takes is one little quarrel, and that travels a whole lot quicker than all the good things we do. That's why we have to advertise our unity, and next we have to advocate our unity. Somebody said, and they said it wisely, coming together is a beginning, keeping together is progress, but working together is success. Well, why should we come together and work together? Well, I'm going to give you three words that ought to give us plenty of motivation. Here's the first one. Family. The psalm was addressed in verse 1 to brethren. You may have a more modern translation that, that uses the word brothers. But brethren here is actually referring to the people of God. If we're going to be brothers and sisters, brethren, that means you got to have the same father. If you have the same father, you're in the same family. And that's exactly what we as a church are. We're nothing less than the family of God. By the way, this is uh, not talked about nearly as much as it used to be, but that's why a believer shouldn't marry an unbeliever. See, the goal of marriage is perfect unity. But a Christian can't have perfect unity with a non-Christian. You can have a union, but you can't have unity. That's why Paul said over in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? Now, I say that to say this. There's no one on earth I'm closer to than my own family. I love my wife. I love my two boys. 
I really love my two grandboys. But remember this, it's a lot easier, even though I will always love them, it's a lot easier to have fellowship with a family member who acts like a family member than to be trying to have fellowship with a family member who doesn't act like one. I want to think of another word, fruitfulness. David makes a comparison that's very interesting. As you look at that passage in verse 2, he compares unity to the precious all upon the head running down the beard of Aaron. Well, why would he use that analogy? Why is unity like all? Well, remember that all in the Bible is a symbol of the Holy Spirit of God. Aaron was the high priest of Israel, and the high priest was to be anointed with oil before he could enter into the Holy of Holies. By the way, if you want to do an interesting study, you'll find out that God gave a special recipe for that oil. It was to be made of uh, myrrh and cinnamon and sweet calamus and, and cassie, and then all of that was blended together with olive oil. And he even gave a specific measure of each element to be used in the making of the anointing oil. And then the Lord gave the warning. He said, this must never be imitated, nor must it ever be substituted. And anyone who tried would be cut off from the people of God. In the same way, those various ingredients come together to form that beautiful anointing oil. Likewise, we're to be unified by the oil of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is Jesus living in me. It's Jesus living in you. It's Jesus living in his brother. Jesus living in uh, the sister. God's desire is we be blended into one body by the gracious unifying work of the Holy Spirit of God. What keeps us together? The Holy Spirit keeps us together. You don't know a whole lot about me. I, I, I don't know much about you, but I would be amazed if we had an opportunity to talk about our differences and how out of those differences from where we come from, God has taken those and blended them together to cause a, a unity that gives us a similarity of our next word, Focus. Says in Romans 14, 9, let us concentrate on the things which make for harmony and on the growth of one another's character. We need to focus on what we have in common, not our differences. God wants our unity, not our uniformity. But for the sake of unity, we shouldn't let our differences divide us. I remember the music wars. I remember people who felt like if it didn't come out of the Baptist hymnal, you better not sing it. I actually had to preach a sermon on this when the church I was pastoring went through the worship wars. I had to say, folks, do you know 
when we're singing a song and the words are on the screen and not out of the hymn book, it breaks God's heart when you stand there and won't sing and you look like somebody licked all the red off of your candy. And everybody who loved the words that were on the screen just grinned. And then I said, and to all of you folks, know that when we actually sing a song out of the hymnal and you sit there and look like somebody has sucked all the juice out of your persimmon and you don't sing, how much that breaks the heart of God. Now, we were able to get beyond that, but I'm telling you, I know some churches that didn't. They, they, they split. I know of churches that have gotten in arguments over the color of the hymnal. Over what color the carpet was going to be. Listen, we need to stay focused on what matters most. And that's loving each other just as Christ loved us. That means we focus on the majors, not on the minors. And I believe the same thing is seen in the scripture over and over. We're to believe in the same book. This is our textbook. I, I learned things an old way and it's hard for me to forget them. The Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. I learned that a long time ago. This is our book. We all believe in the same Lord. That's what the book teaches us. We all believe in the same spirit. That's what this book teaches us. We believe in the same baptism. Those are the things that really matter. A great pastor of years ago once said, conflict is usually a sign that the focus has shifted to less important issues. Things the Bible calls disputable matters. Give you a little hint. Whenever we start focusing on personalities, preferences, interpretations, styles, or methods, division always happens. But if we concentrate on loving each other and fulfilling God's purposes, harmony results. That's why Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 1.10. Let there be real harmony so there won't be divisions in the church. I plead with you to be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. I'm a little bit of a history nut and I... Uh, find it interesting to read some of the historical documents and the things that people were going through when we as a nation have been in conflict with other nations, when we've been involved in wars. And during World War II, England went through horrible bombing attacks as uh, Hitler's Luftwaffe made uh, their runs against England. And I read of some extraordinary scenes in air raid shelters. How different people who belong to different classes all ran to a shelter because they had a common need to shelter from the bombs and death. And when they were in there and understood it was a matter of life and death, they forgot all the differences that were between them and they became one. 
That's because in the common interest, they forgot the divisions and the distinctions that they may have had between each other. That's why you always tend to have a coalition government during a war. In periods of crisis and common need, all distinctions are forgotten and we suddenly become united. It is interesting to me that after 9-11, our nation unified and came together and the first two Sundays after 9-11, we had a packed house at church. It only lasted about two or three weeks. Here's the interesting thing about this particular crisis. We haven't allowed that to unite us at all. We're fussing and squabbling more than we ever have. But dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to remind you of something. As believers, we're in a war that most of the world can't see. And contrary to any disagreement we might have, if we are God's people, we're not enemies, we're on the same side. And we got to stay united if we're going to win the war. Here's the next thing. God expects us to advance our unity. David not only compares unity to all, he compares it to do. He says, it's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanding the blessing, life evermore. Now, why did David use dew as an example of unity? If you've ever been in that hot Mediterranean climate, dew is absolutely essential to plant life. I mean, most of Israel, what we would call the Holy Land, is a desolate-looking place. And dew is like a refreshing lotion that God sends to lubricate a dry, parched land that we call the nation of Israel. You know, we even have a saying here in America, it's as fresh as the morning dew. Back in the days of David when he wrote this psalm, and even still today in parts of Israel, farming was done on a dry basis. As a matter of fact, it was called dry farming. There wasn't any irrigation back when this psalm was written. They had very little rain. And farmers were totally dependent on the morning dew to water their crops. In the absence of rain with no irrigation, there was not a more beautiful sight to a Hebrew farmer than the morning dew he saw laying across his crops like a blanket because he knew God had sent that to water his crops. That dew meant food for the table. It meant clothing for his family's back. It meant shelter for his family. And whenever that dew would fall, they would begin their day with a time of great rejoicing for the dew God had sent. There is nothing sweeter than the dew of heaven's grace, God's power, and the Spirit's unity when it falls on a church. Now, I'm sure some of you have been involved 
and the bitterness of a church divided. You know what it is to rejoice and the blessing of a church united. Dew makes the land green. It makes it fertile. It makes it fruitful. It increases its productivity. Dew gives the land its greatest potential to do what it was created to do, and that's be fruitful for its creator. What the dew does for the land, unity does for the church. I was reading several years ago about uh, Canadian geese. And a naturalist was studying minor. But when they fly, they always fly in geese formation. Heard and seen a flock of geese fly overhead. And you will notice they're in that V formation. You know why they fly that way? Research has revealed that each bird flaps its wings and it creates an uplift for the bird immediately behind it. And they fly in a V formation with each bird behind the other getting an uplift and it is 1%. Then if each bird tried to fly on its own, that ought to teach us something. When people have a common goal of just following God's will and obeying God's word and living in total surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then we can go further, we can go farther, we can go more quickly and have more success than we The research discovered something else. Whenever a goose falls out of formation, and it quickly gets back into formation to take it. (laughs) Folks, if we had as much good sense as geese, we'd stay in formation we'd be headed in the same direction. We'd follow the will of God. Here's another interesting thing. If something happens to one of the geese and they have to fall out of formation due to an injury or and two other geese will always go with it. What's true for the geese is true for the church. For a family, I'm limited to what I can do alone. But folks, we're unlimited in what we can do together under God's leadership. United we stand, divided we fall. And so what's Stay united around your love for one another. Those are the majors.
By the way, we're told in Scripture to simply keep unity. From God's perspective, there is but that it needs to be protected. How do we do that? How do we make every effort to a long, hard look at the attitudes we carry. Unity doesn't begin in examining others, but in examining self. Change selves. Unity grows as we learn to accept on how Different. And unity is fulfilled as focus on who we believe in rather than what we believe in becomes our primary. Message of Jesus Christ to a divided world. That's our purpose. And if the world that I've lived in over three score years, every let's be unified in it. And if you're here today and God has said anything at all to you, I hope he's desired to be a part right here at Sherall First Baptist. And together, you as God's people are going to keep clear your focus. You believe you go through a search. Now remember that, because I'm amazed at how sometimes six to eight months down the road, I'll get a call and folks will be fussing because the preacher did something they don't like. It's not about what you and I like, it's about him. That's how we stay unified. That's how we stand. Let's pray and right after I pray, We thank you for the opportunity to be your people and help us be a people who are together so
Thank you, praise team. Thank you, uh, Mr. Gary. Uh, awesome word. I pray that we will be a church that is unified. Amen. 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 Uh, be a church that is unified. I believe that's what God has called us, called us to be. And when we're unified, it will affect not only us, but it will affect the ones in this community across the state, across the world. Amen.